You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. The clock strikes midnight on the Cinderella Chicago Bears as they lose in a heartbreaker 16-15 to to the Philadelphia Eagles. We review the loss and the rest of Wildcard Weekend right here on Bear With Me. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Bear With Me, a Windy City Gridiron podcast where we would traditionally review the game that just happened, preview the game that's coming up, and then cover whatever else happened in the rest of the NFL that week. But, as I'm sure you know, unfortunately the season ended this last week, so I won't be previewing anything. I mean, maybe I'll preview the 2019 season a little bit, but it'll be pretty high-level stuff because we don't really know what the 2019 Bears even look like. The offseason hasn't even happened yet. But anyways, I'm your host, Robert Schmitz, stoked to bring you this week's episode and really just dive into what happened against Philadelphia at Soldier Field. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and get into it. So for those of you who don't know the score, the Bears lost 16-15 to on a missed or blocked field goal at the very, very end of the game. Truly, truly a heartbreaker for a team that felt like it could do anything and go anywhere. But I know that I've seen all over Twitter, all over Windy City and everywhere else, a lot of people want to blame specific plays. They want to blame Amos's penalty. They want to blame the kick, which admittedly wasn't good. They want to blame a lot of things. But if you ask me, this was the definition of a team loss. Everybody contributed to this one. I'm just going to go down a list of all the stuff that went wrong in this game that could have absolutely been avoided. First and foremost, we have Amos's 15-yard penalty that absolutely could have been avoided. I mean, I get that if Ertz catches the ball, you want to light him up, but Adrian, you led with your head. Don't do that. Second, we've got Nagy's game plan. He started the game for the first 20 to 25 minutes, specifically trying to attack the first 10 yards of the field using a quarterback who the league at large doesn't think can play. I think this was ridiculous. I've usually been Nagy's biggest proponent, but right now, allow me to be one of his biggest critics. That was never the game plan. That never should have been the game plan. You have a surprisingly fast Eagles team who's missing both starting backs boundary corners and you don't start out testing them deep I don't know it went on way too long the Bears only offensive success came as soon as we just abandoned that game plan outright we should have shifted sooner if that was where you were going to start third we've got the fact that their first TD was scored with 10 dudes on the field for defense so uh, it goes without saying that when you're in the playoffs, you should have the correct number of guys on the field at all times, especially when you're in the red zone. The fact that we only had 10 guys on the field for Dallas Goddard's touchdown is a little embarrassing. Next, we've got the fact that the offense couldn't do absolutely anything for the first 20 to 25 minutes. Again, maybe this is Nagy's game plan, but you hope that the offense can power out a couple more points anyways. Next up, Mizell played. He had three snaps. They all sucked. So that certainly contributed to our loss. 
Next, we had the fact that Cohen, aside from a phenomenal catch, a late return, and I think maybe one run in there, he didn't touch the ball at all. You've got a real playmaker who's actually going to the Pro Bowl, and he got, I think, three touches offensively. He just didn't touch the ball enough. You want him to have it. We also had Jackson and Burton injured, and especially Jackson's injury meant that we had Adrian Amos, who's really only a good strong safety, trying to fill in it free. And then we had Dion Bush also trying to play strong and free safety. Neither is very good in the free safety role, and that really killed us because that's how Nick Foles was getting those floaters going. They never would have worked against Eddie Jackson. I'm so confident they never would have worked against Eddie Jackson, but kudos to Peterson and the Eagles, I guess. He knew that without Jackson, the Bears' defense was just going to have no answer eventually for some of these quick floaters that he could throw out. I mean, it would allow Foles to get the ball out of his hand, avoid the Bears' pass rush, and then still allow the route to develop as long as the free safety didn't roll over, which they didn't. Then Burton was gone because, of course, about two days before the game, his groin just locked up and he was unable to play football. That's, of course, exactly what you want to see out of one of the highest paid tight ends in football. It's extraordinarily unfortunate, but I guess that happens. Then we have Miller's catch that wasn't a catch, but it was a catch, but it wasn't a catch. You get the idea. Even the referee making the call when he was explaining that they were pulling the ball back seemed to stop short as if he didn't even believe himself anymore. Uh, It was weird. It takes a catch off the board for the Bears. Of course, you want the Bears to run over and get it, but I thought, and I think everybody else on the planet thought, that it was an incomplete pass at the time of the play. Just a weird occurrence in general and then my final point that I want to make about reasons the Bears lost the vaunted Bears defense that was absolutely murdering and dominating people all season long let's be real these guys were the guys that if we were going to go to the Super Bowl they were going to have to be the ones that stepped up every single game and ultimately closed stuff out and here we were the Bears offense had squeaked out a lead 15 to 10 all you had to do was not allow the Eagles into the end zone and the Bears defense could not stop them that hurt me a lot because that was the team's identity effectively being stripped away from them and it was certainly part of the loss so yeah Cody Parkey missed a field goal that I think he absolutely should have made. I definitely believe it was his fault. I think that the block only happened because Parkey didn't get enough loft on the ball in the first place. But either way, it was a team loss. I can't pin it all on Parkey because the offense needed to score more. I can't pin it all on Parkey because the defense needed to stop them more. You get the idea. Everybody contributed. Coach, offense, defense, special teams, everybody. So that's the bad news. The good news? Our young guys rose and answered the bell when absolutely no one else would. Starting out first and foremost with Roquan Smith, who I gotta say, when he came out of Georgia, I didn't expect him to be this good this fast. A quick, speedy Will linebacker, I was anticipating that Roquan Smith would slide into a really good defense and simply bolster them, but he has quickly shown his chops that he can become a young star. As he dove over the Eagles running back and just wrenched the ball out of his hands, I saw somebody who was willing to look destiny in the face and say, not this time, that ball is mine. And when he couldn't run it back, I mean... Yeah, it made sense, and it was fair football, but it was a real bummer because, boy, did he earn it. But 
I personally thought that that kind of changed the tone of the offensive-defensive struggle. I can't speak to what the yardage was. I know that the Eagles had picked up about 100 yards so far on three drives, but when Roquan took that away, it reminded the Eagles that the Bears' defense was nothing to play around with. And for the rest of the half, they just ran roughshod on him, picking off another pass uh, later in the quarter. In my opinion, Roquan Smith is the unquestionable defensive player of this game, partially because of that injury coming so individualistically. He wasn't set up by anything. Foles got the ball out to who he should have gotten it to, and Roquan simply made a bigger play. But he also had some great coverage later in the game. He really seemed to take care of everything he was supposed to do, top to bottom. Really phenomenal to see out of your, you know, 2018 first-round pick. And then let's move on to Mitchell Trubisky, whose passer rating by quarter was in the first quarter. He had a 50.3. Obviously, that's not good. Second quarter, he had a 76.6. Not great either. The third quarter, he hit his season average of 95.0, and in the fourth, he threw with a 133.7 passer rating. I understand that these numbers aren't everything, but boy do they paint the same exact picture that it felt like was happening throughout the game, where nobody else could answer. Howard had 10 carries for 30 yards, for instance. Mitch Trubisky seemed to pick up the mantle of the offense and make plays when they counted. Of course, he didn't do it alone. Guys like Allen Robinson, Anthony Miller, and Taylor Gabriel were huge in coming up and making big plays. Somebody has to catch the ball after all. But boy, did it feel like Mitch Trubisky was really dialed in at the end of the game. There was no question that I found more important coming into this postseason that I wanted answered than who really was Mitch Trubisky going to be? Who is he going forward? And I thought we could find out in a playoff run. Of course, I didn't expect it to end so quickly, but at least we got to see that ultimately when Trubisky's back is pushed up against the wall, when the team needs a play, he will be there with big throws in big moments. I can't ask for much more as a Bear fan. I mean, this team ultimately going forward is probably going to need a quality quarterback. And a lot of eggs are in the Trubisky basket. And with all the media just yelling about how bad Mitch Trubisky is, regardless of what Bears fans were seeing, it was unbelievably assuring to see that in a playoff environment, he was going to be able to lead us to exactly what we needed. One more young drafted star that I'll go ahead and mention is Tariq Cohen, who I thought played unbelievably given his very tiny amount of touches. Cohen's first catch was instantly the biggest gain that the Bears had had all day, and it was a tough catch over the middle where Trubisky had to drop a ball in a bucket. Cohen had to grab it and know that he was about to get lit up from behind, and he took it like a champ. Then, late in the game, when the Bears were down to their final minute, there Cohen was, answering the bell as a kick returner, shrugging off, I think, three tackles as he scampered for a 40-ish yard return. Seriously, he came up big too. When you look at the Bears' core, there's a lot here. This team was never, in my opinion, the 85 Bears. It was always much more like the 84 Bears, a young team that was almost too talented to lose games. And I think they've got real stuff to build on for the future. But we'll talk about that in the next section. 
First, I want to go ahead and close the book on the Philadelphia game because, honestly, Philly played great. And it's okay to look at the opponent that just beat you and say that team played a heck of a game. They had lockdown coverage all night when it came to short balls. They tackled exceptionally well. A play that I'll point out is when Adam Shaheen got upended by Craven LeBlanc with tons of space past him. Seriously, there were so many plays where the Eagles had to make a one-on-one tackle, and they did. They forced the Bears to beat them deep, which, while the Bears sort of did that later in the game, I just want to give them credit for truly taking the rest of it away. Uh, And then it doesn't hurt anything that they had Foles, who was sort of the perfect quarterback and offense combo to beat the Bears by avoiding the Bears' pass rush altogether. Last week, I made this claim, which certainly looks ridiculous now, that Foles was due for one of his worst games as a pro, and I gotta say, I absolutely got that wrong. I was expecting a lot better coverage out of the Bears' secondary. I expected that they would take the stuff away for that first second and a half, but... According to what we saw in the game, they just couldn't consistently do that. I don't know how much of that was due to Eddie Jackson's injury. I think quite a couple of those floaty balls would have been at least knocked down, and I think we would have picked one more of them off. But that's just more credit to Doug Peterson and his ability to make sure that his offense is tailor-made to beat the defense that he's going up against. Seriously. Credit to Philly, they had exactly the personnel they needed to beat us. A lot of their guys made big plays when they absolutely had to. They just played a better game. I will make one final point, though, regarding Parkey. I do think he's got to go. I don't think it's fair either. I said the same on Simple Man Radio yesterday, but I just... uh, I I don't think that a guy who was 24th in extra point percentage, 28th in field goal percentage, and missed a playoff like win or go home kick can stay on the team. I know he has a ton of money tied up in dead cap, but I don't think there's any better option for the Bears. He seems like a really nice guy, but sometimes life just isn't fair, and the Bears are going to have to look for a kicker that can at least kick better than about 75%. Not all kickers are expensive. I'm not on the Robbie Gould train yet. I need to see how the rest of the cap stuff plays out. But I do think and hope that the Bears are going to have a different person kicking the football for them next year. And speaking of next year, we actually don't have a preview to do this week. So I'm going to go ahead and give a high-level preview of what I think the 2019 season has in store for the Bears. And then we'll go from there. Sound okay? So first things first, I think the 2019 Bears offense is going to get a lot better. From weeks one to three where he looked absolutely lost, Mitch Trubisky improved dramatically, turning in some of his best performances late in the year. Nagy, as Mitch started to understand more, seemed to slowly unlock the offense little by little every single week. And then in the playoffs against Philadelphia, it seemed like he sort of just threw the playbook open in the middle of the game and said, Mitch, I don't know if you're ready for this yet, but here's what we're going to do. And Mitch was able to deliver. I've got high hopes for this offense. I think year two was always sort of the cement year that this first year was going to be all about installation and doing your best. But it's those extra seven months in the offseason where you're not just meeting these guys, you're not shaking hands, you're not 
looking over a new playbook, you're taking what you already know, you're taking 16 to 17 games of footage, and you're condensing them, you're learning them backwards and forwards, you're seeing what you can do to better exploit matchups, all that jazz. I think that the Bears offense has a lot of positivity in store for it. Now, I'm not saying that they're going to be some crazy top five Mahomes KC offense, but I do think that they can push for the top 10 while landing expectably in the top 16. That's my take anyways. I think the Bears defense, on the other hand, is likely going to get worse. And it's not for a reason I can really predict. My best guess is health. Defenses just don't tend to stay constantly amazing. When you have a defense that's dominating, they just don't tend to last long. Denver's Super Bowl defense lasted exactly one year. Uh, The Legion of Boom seemed to last two or three. I think the Bears' defense will remain elite, but it won't be so dominatrix elite as this team was. Because health is hard. Like, really hard. And even though we lost Jackson and Burton and Callahan come playoff time, it's hard for me to pretend that we'll be any healthier next year. Plenty of the guys on this defense that stayed healthy usually don't. Like Amukamura, Trevathan, plenty of guys on this team lose time most years, and they just played 17 straight games. That's huge. That's crazy. That won't happen twice. So we're going to need to make sure that we're ready to lose somebody, and when we do, chances are the defense takes a little bit of a step back. That's what's probably going to create it, because if it's something else, well, frankly, we're just not going to see it coming. There's no way that as a sane human being, I can sit here and predict that Akeem Hicks is going to gain 35 pounds, lose three steps and be cut worthy next year after making the pro bowl this year there's just no way i can do that so i won't i'll still be shocked if the defense is able to maintain this kind of violent dominance next year so i'm gonna say that i think health causes a slight regression but i do think the offense is going to improve enough to more than cover for that especially because i think this 2019 bears coaching staff is going to be much much better Now that the season's over, let's go ahead and call this wonderful 2018 Bears team what it is. This is a team that, generally speaking, has been fighting themselves all year long. The Bears would make a bunch of great plays, and then Mitch would throw an interception in the red zone, or Cohen would fumble late, or the defense would just completely lose David Johnson in coverage, or Parkey would miss a kick, maybe Nagy would make some cute call that would go wrong. This team, in my opinion, romped through this entire season largely on passion and talent rather than precise preparedness. Time marinating in this offense is going to allow the Bears to tweak their offensive game plans to assault each individual defense differently, and I think that's going to cause a wonderful upswing in offensive point scoring. The point is that I think this team is too young and too good and too talented and too well coached to allow this loss to break them mentally. I know this is going to kind of sound like a tropey platitude, but I think that this exact kind of defeat is the sort of adversity that these young guys need to get that little bit more under their skin because plenty of them had never been to the playoffs before. And now they've been to the playoffs and they've realized that you've got to bring that little bit extra when you're in the playoffs to make big plays and get to the Super Bowl. It's not as easy as the regular season. And even the coach had to learn that lesson firsthand. 
I think that this 2019 Bears team will be able to carry this with them and use it as an extra source of energy that can only come from having been so successful in the regular season and so disappointing to themselves in the postseason. I think this ultimately helps them as much as it hurts right now. Not with confetti, not with champagne, but with a kick that hits both uprights and leaves every single Chicago Bears player and coach asking themselves, what more could I have done? There had to be more I could have done. And taking that into the offseason, I think this 2019 Bears team is going to be one to watch, and I will be with you every single week of the way there. But that's next season, and before we get to next season, we've got to finish up this season and the rest of everything happening in the NFL right now. Fangio has just been interviewed by the Broncos, as far as I know, so while I don't personally think he's going to get a job as an NFL head coach, I really can't speak to anything concrete, but I will take you through the three other games that happened this weekend. We'll start with the Colts, who visited the Houston Texans and absolutely blew them out of their own building. The final score of 21-7 sort of paints this picture of a close-ish game, but the Texans got lucky that it was that close. The Colts scored 14 points on their first two possessions, threw an interception, and then scored seven more. All while the Texans could only muster up, I think, three punts and an interception in that time window. The Texans just never really got anything going offensively against a Colts defense that has gotten surprisingly good over the last couple of weeks. The big question for me coming out of this game is what did we really just watch? Did we watch a good Colts team beat a bad Texans team? Or did we watch a good Texans team lose to a great Colts team? I guess we'll find out as the Colts visit KC this weekend. Watching Andrew Luck square off against Pat Mahomes though, now that is going to be a fun football game to watch. Immediately after that, the Seahawks took on the Cowboys in Dallas, and credit where credit's due, Dallas pulled a big, big win out of this one. A lot of that came from the fact that Seahawks kicker Sebastian Janikowski actually looked like he pulled his hamstring or something, and he wasn't able to finish the game after the second half. But seriously, Dallas's offense was able to score 24 points against a Seahawks defense that's been fairly stout over the course of the season. And at this point, I just can't give enough credit to Dallas's front office for being willing to part with a first-round pick to go get Amari Cooper. While both Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott turned in pretty good games in their own right, it's Amari Cooper that every time I watch the Cowboys, I see him having unlocked Michael Gallup, Cole Beasley, and pretty much the entire rest of the Cowboys receiving core. He gets them more open while still getting open himself. He's what keeps them going. He's basically like Khalil Mack, but for the Dallas offense, which is crazy to think about. Anyways, I think the Cowboys caught a break this weekend that they get to face LA instead of New Orleans because New Orleans coming off their bye against the team that embarrassed them in the regular season, I think they would have destroyed Dallas. I don't know if Dallas can beat the Rams, but that's a much better path for them than going through New Orleans. And then we get to the last game, which was a weird one because in one sense, the Chargers blew the Ravens out. Uh, but then in another, it was a 23-17 game for a reason. Lamar Jackson looked a lot more like what the doubters thought he would look like than he did the people who were saying he's the future in this game as he fumbled, I think, three times, though only one of them was, or two of them were lost. But 
either way, the Ravens' offense just didn't work. And I obviously got on board the bandwagon way too late or at the wrong time because I really thought the Ravens were going to continue to kind of mystify the league, but the Chargers weren't mystified at all. They just plugged the run, and they did so successfully. They forced Lamar Jackson to be a passer while still rushing him profusely, and he couldn't do it. It was a really rough day for him. The Chargers' offense didn't have a particularly great offensive day either, but hey, they scored 23 points and were able to win the football game, which is sort of their job. They go on to face the Patriots this weekend, and I think they should be able to win because the Patriots, to me, look like a team that, as a collective, is just one year too old. I mean, don't ever count them out. Obviously, the Patriots are only done when the clock hits zero, but I don't know. They just don't look quite the same this year. And that's our show, folks. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for coming with me on this journey throughout December. I know I jumped on with Windy City late. And if you were one of my few subscribers who was listening when I started around week nine, thank you so much for bearing with me throughout this season. My off-season content should remain consistent, though it'll sort of change on a week-to-week basis. I'm going to try to keep a poll running every single week uh, that I post on Windy City that'll have a couple of options so that you guys, the listeners, can pick what it is that you want me to produce coming the next week. I'm going to see if I can't shorten the show a little bit. You see, this one's 25, and I'm going to consider that long going forward, especially given that it's the off-season. There'll be a little bit less to talk about. But hey, we'll see what we find. Be sure to hit me up on Twitter at R-S-C-H-M-I-T-Z-2-8. That's rschmitz 28 If you like the show, be sure to rate us on iTunes or Spotify or whatever else and subscribe. That always lets us know we're doing a great job and helps us get promoted to other Bears fans like you that would enjoy listening to this sort of content. Thank you all so much. It was a phenomenal season. Bear down, and thank you so much for bearing with me. Hello, you are listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play, brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories, like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0. Or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening.